Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein, and today I'm very excited to have my friend Bryce Olson, Global Marketing Director of our Health and Life Sciences Group at Intel, back in the studio with me. Welcome back, Bryce. It's been a while. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's been a while. I was reflecting fondly the other day, just thinking about this. I think it was South by Southwest 2017. And I remember walking on Rainy Street. You remember that? That's that's a, oh, yeah. that street of yeah historic homes and bungalows in Austin, and a lot of it's commercial now. But I remember walking down that street, and it's just busy and so much going on. And I remember looking down the road and seeing all of these people just lined up for like a block long, heading into a bar or home or whatever it was. And I was so curious, I was like, oh, what is going on? I got to check this out. This looks really cool. It was the Intel location. It was really hopping. It was super cool. And that's where you were at doing chip chat interviews, I remember. That's right. I was there. That was a great time. And what a juxtaposition to the world that we find ourselves in right now. Totally. Crazy. Totally. Yeah. You know, another juxtaposition I was thinking about. So I, when I was there, I was, I was there talking about genomic sequencing and how you know, it was really important for people with diseases like cancer to understand what's driving your disease and how to fight it. And it's just crazy that not only is sequencing super helpful for people fighting cancer and rare diseases, but it's so helpful in understanding what makes the SARS-CoV COV2 virus, you know, when it causes COVID, like what makes that thing tick? You know, how do you track its mutations as it spreads? How does it evade the immune system? It's like, Everybody's talking about sequencing now again. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's a good thing that we spent some time doing that because obviously yeah. this is something yeah. where our technology can really lend a hand. And that's what the topic totally. is today, Intel's tech initiative to help address the pandemic response and the work that we're doing collectively to get the right technology into the hands of those who need it at the front lines. You know, Intel came out with an announcement of $50 million of funding for pandemic response. And this is part of a larger effort at Intel. We've announced the delivery of PPE. We've announced a lot of local programs. But the $50 million pandemic response really caught my attention because it is doing exactly what I knew we needed to, which is delivering the technology that we know hospitals and medical institutions that are studying the virus and looking for treatments and a vaccine desperately need. And one thing that I am very sure of is that technology will have a role to play in mitigation and getting past this horrible moment for society. Yeah. When you look at the types of collaborations within the pandemic response, and I know a lot of them are not yet public, are there some themes that emerge in terms of the types of engagements that we're driving? Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of touched on a few of them. I think that when you look at diagnostics and, you know, how can you understand what maybe is driving the disease? How can you understand, you know, what makes it tick? Can you look at the genomic underpinnings of it and see if you could figure out where it originated from, how it's evading the immune system, maybe even try to figure out, could we create a vaccine? Could companies create a vaccine basically using, you know, technology to cipher and go through the genomic underpinnings so you can you know, look at the antibodies of somebody who's had it, for example, and then see if you could see what's really interesting about those antibodies and then create a vaccine that would allow it to 
help prevent people getting it. You know, so I think diagnostics, vaccine development, you know, we're using technology to really look at the underpinnings of this disease. I think another really exciting area is just treatment. And can you use technology to accelerate access to either treatments that are going to be coming available or just ways to monitor and manage patients in the ICU in ways that would protect healthcare workers? Things like that, you know, come top of mind. You are at the heart of a collaboration with medical informatics, which is so fantastic. Tell me about that and walk me through the purpose and how the collaboration is going in terms of engagement with hospitals. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one thing that maybe to kind of just set the stage a little bit, when I think of innovation as well that's taking off because of COVID, besides the ones that we just talked about, another one that comes to mind is telemedicine. You know, as a cancer patient myself, I've had numerous doctor visits in the last six weeks, and I've never left my house, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I do telemedicine. And that way, the doctor can evaluate me in a way where he or she doesn't have to physically see me. And that protects me from the doctor and protects the doctor from me in case I might be asymptomatic and potentially spreading it. But I think what people aren't really talking enough about is what could we do to protect the critical care staff themselves? You know, these are the people on the front lines. There are heroes in this wartime medicine situation we're in today. And if you look at the 1.2 million people in the United States that have been diagnosed with this, somewhere between 15 and 20% of them are actual frontline staff, you know, the people that are trying to keep us well. And so if you could create something that would allow them to not have to go into the room all the time and yet still care for the patients in the same way that they do and maybe even give them access to more data and richer data, that would be interesting because if you ask an ICU nurse, how many times do you enter into a patient's room, you know, that you're covering for in any given shift, it's like 40 times and they don't have PPE. A lot of them don't, you know, so that's just, it got us thinking at Intel, like, could we help accelerate access to a technology that could protect the staff and at the same time serve those patients better? And that led to some discussions in New York City. So we were talking to critical care teams in New York and two things kept coming back out from them. And one was what I really want to get is everything that's in the room outside of the room. Can you help me get all this data, this bedside data that's next to the patient out of the room so then I can monitor and manage that patient without having to go in all the time? And then the second thing is, can you help us scale ICU resources? You know, one doctor told me if I could clone my ICU nurses, I would because I've got all these patients coming in and I have limited staff now because some of them are getting sick. How can I scale their resources to allow them to help more patients? And That's what drove us to step back and say, oh, my gosh, we have this collaboration, this partnership with a company that Intel has invested in called Medical Informatics that can essentially do just that. You know, they have this amazing technology that we think will be able to create a new standard of ICU patient care because what it does is it enables those critical care teams, you know, that are in the hospital to remotely monitor and manage patients from anywhere. And when I say anywhere, I mean It could be a quarantined area in a hospital where a sick doctor is getting better and can offer help. It could be a respiratory therapist that's essentially at home, you know, and being able to add value, monitor those patients, and then scale resources in ways that were just not possible before. Now, I know that this was something that we announced last week 
but the team is already busy and some of this technology has already been deployed at a couple of hospitals. So oh, yeah. what have we learned through those deployments and what has the interest been since we came out with the announcement? This technology has been deployed before COVID. It's just that COVID has made it so much more critical, really, because of the fact that it allows a hospital to you know, remotely monitor patients in a way that they couldn't do before. So we've seen this in use at places like Texas Children's Hospital, Houston Methodist, John Hopkins, you know, other places like that where they were using it for things like cardiology or they were using it to create a virtual ICU for their anesthesia doctors to look at patients. And what we've seen now with COVID is like if you look at a place like Houston Methodist who had deployed it for you know other reasons, I think they were just trying to create a virtual ICU, which is essentially a facility that augments the critical care teams that have to go into the rooms. Once they created that, they started seeing COVID patients actually come in. It was around the same time that COVID started. And once you got this thing up and running, for them to add beds, you know, new patients are coming in, the ICU is full. You have to start creating beds and opening beds in a conference room in the hospital or maybe in the auditorium or wherever they're putting them. This technology scales so easily that you could just add a bed in minutes. So if you need to serve five more COVID patients that are coming in that are going to be in the hallway and you set up the beds there, you can turn these into monitored ICU beds and start monitoring that data right away. So we saw hospitals that had already deployed it use it for COVID with this particular program using some of the funds that Intel's made available through the pandemic response, we're enabling hospitals across America now to access it for hospitals that qualify. We are waiving the implementation fees for this and then 90 days of subscription services so they can essentially run it for 90 days, see if they like it. And if they find that it's adding a tremendous amount of value, we hope that they'll stick with it. But it's a risk-free trial, if you will, that we're making available as part of this program. And we're seeing a lot of hospitals that are very interested in it, but can't shake loose dollars right now because they just didn't budget for this, that are now wanting to sign up. That makes a lot of sense. And how cool. I mean, I, I think that when I read through this one, it's a great example of industry standard technology, because one of the key points that I saw is that the solution works across vendors monitoring equipment. And so, you know, regardless of what the hospital has deployed, the medical informatics solution can actually pull that data. And, you know, we've worked with them to optimize the solution and run it on Xeon scalable processors, which is fantastic. But I think that, you know, what's cool is that at the end of the day, what this means is more patients getting the care that they need and caregivers that have the assurity of being able to monitor without risking undue exposure, which is, I think, you know, a double bonus from this solution. You're absolutely right. And, you know, from a tech perspective as well, it's really cool because it's basically software that sits inside of the hospital network. And then it listens to all those data streams that are coming from those integrated devices, right? And when I say integrated devices, you know, think about just the physiological data from a cardiac monitor or ventilator. It's listening for all that. It's reading all that, and it doesn't matter, like you said, it doesn't matter who the vendor was. It could be a GE device, it could be a capsule device, it could be a Philips device, it doesn't matter. It's just agnostic, and it reads it all, reads it all in very rich waveform and very high fidelity, and then just takes that data, presents it to the doctor on a web-based interface. It could be their iPhone, it could be an iPad, it could be a PC, it doesn't matter, and allows them to look at it from anywhere, whether that's 
you know, a doctor at their home, whether that's caregivers in a virtual rounding situation where imagine a bunch of critical care staff that's on a Zoom session and they want to look at patients. They can do that with this. They can just look at it. They can look at one patient. They can look at 100 patients. You know, they can look at just ventilated data on 100 patients. They could set up a virtual command center or a virtual ICU. The usage models are many, and it's, it's proving to be extremely useful. I'm really excited to see the number of hospitals scale, and I'm sure that we're piquing some folks' interest online. Where can folks find out more about the Scale to Serve program and how they can actually use this technology without cost? One place that they could learn about this is newsroom.intel.com, for example. We had a, a recent press release that talks about the program. If they want to go to the actual medical informatics page, they can. It's a little bit long, but it's sickbay.michealthcare.com. That can help people get to the source. But if you go to, again, newsroom.intel.com or just go to intel.com, and then you'll see Intel's online presence about the pandemic response. If you click on that, you'll see it. It's talking about virtual ICUs and remote ICUs and how Intel's working with medical informatics on that. And you can read all about it. You know, I, again, I kind of feel I, I'm worried about this myself, Alison, you know, like as a cancer patient, mm-hmm. I'm very immunocompromised. And I think about this all the time. If I get it, I could be one of these people that get a real severe case. I would hope that the hospitals that are taking care of me have all access to the data about me, you know, that's being monitored from me. I would hope that they could have access to it. And The cool thing about this as well is when you have all of this retrospective data from a patient, you can start doing really cool analytics on it, you know, and creating risk scores and predictive algorithms for this stuff. I know for someone like me, if I get the acute respiratory distress, I would want my doctors to be able to look at me and make predictions about, am I at risk for having a severe respiratory issue? Am I at risk for needing intubation? If I get intubated, can I get extubated successfully? You know, am I at risk of having a cytokine storm, which is going to take off in my lungs? And what can I do about that? You know, I want them to have as much data about me as possible and then individualize the interventions and then see if those interventions work. And a solution like this lets them collect all that data and take action on it. You know, I think that many of us are thinking about the personal challenges with this disease and challenges to loved ones. And it's important that we do what we can to enable our healthcare providers to do the excellent jobs that we know that they're capable of in this horrible time. So this is a great contribution to trying to help. And I can't wait to hear more about how this progresses. We'd love to have you back sometime, Bryce, to talk about this collaboration and more collaborations within the Intel Pandemic Response Initiative. Thank you. I would love to. Sign me up for that. I would love to be able to give you an update on how hospitals are using this in like 30 days time frame or or whenever's convenient for you. I'd be more than happy because I'm just so excited about this and I know it's going to have an impact on the folks that are on the front line. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for being on the show. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash big data, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization.